Welcome to Your Torah, a 36-week journey into the world of the 63 books of the Mishnah, 18 minutes at a time. A project of Jofa UK, designed as a special invitation to engage in Torah and make it yours. If you'd like to sponsor or dedicate an episode of Your Torah, please get in touch via our website, which can be found at ukjofa.org. My name is Rachel Lasha, and today we're going to learn about Tractate, or Masachat Beitzah. I'm really excited to talk to you all about this Masachat, because it holds a special place in my heart. If you've been listening to the whole series, you'll recognize me from the podcast on Masachat Ma'asrot. At the beginning of that podcast, I mentioned that, in honor of my bat mitzvah, I learned all the Mishnayot of Seder Moed with my father, including Masachat Beitzah. More than a decade passed, and I don't think I thought much about Beitzah at all. Then, about two years ago, a friend and I began studying Beitzah together, both the Mishnah and the Gemara. We slowly made our way through, and finally finished and made a siyum six months ago. It was particularly meaningful, because we finished learning about a week before I gave birth to my daughter, and we celebrated the siyum at the party in honor of her naming. It was a wonderful way to add a bit of Torah into the celebration of my daughter's entry into the world. So, shout out to Anna L, who will hopefully remain asleep while I finish recording your podcast, and to Masachet Beitza, which has become a particular favorite of mine. If you've been following along with the Your Torah podcasts, you know that we're now in the middle of studying Seder Moed, the order of the Mishnah that deals with the holidays. You've already learned about Shabbat, Pesach, Yom Kippur, and Sukkot. So what is Masachat Beitza about? Beitza literally means egg. But no, you didn't miss a Jewish holiday about eggs. Beitza, or egg, is just the first word of the first Mishnah in our Masachat. A more accurate name for the Masachat would probably be Masachat Yom Tov, because it deals with the general laws of Yom Tov, of a Jewish holiday, and especially the ways in which those laws differ from the laws of Shabbat which had its own Masachat just a few back. The biggest difference between Shabbat and Yom Tov is based on a pasuk in Shemot 12.16. Talking specifically about Pesach, the pasuk says, Ubayom harishon mikra kodesh, Ubayom hashvi'i mikra kodesh yiyelachem, Kom lacha lo yeyasebahem, Achasher yeyachel lechol nefesh, you shall celebrate a sacred occasion on the first day and a sacred occasion on the seventh day, meaning those are days of Yom Tov. No work at all shall be done on them. Only what every person is to eat, that alone may be prepared for you. The sages understood this rule to apply to all holidays, not just Pesach, based on other similar psukim. And so now we have a scenario where we have a day that is just like Shabbat, except we can cook. And not just cook, but seemingly do anything related to food preparation. This is a big deal. And if it doesn't seem like a big deal to you, close your eyes and imagine a three-day yantif without a refrigerator. In a world where food couldn't easily be stored, being able to cook on Yom Tov was a huge win. Now you didn't have to find some way to safely store your brisket from Erev Yom Tov. You could actually keep it in the cow. Come home from shul, slaughter the cow, butcher, season, barbecue, and voila, lunch. I apologize to any vegetarians in the audience. 
Our Masechet does talk quite a bit about slaughtering animals, because being allowed to do that on Yom Tov is one of the biggest differences from Shabbat. But I won't focus on that any more than necessary. So does this rule mean that we can really do anything on Yom Tov as long as it's related to food? If I want some challah, can I go out to my field, harvest some wheat, thresh it, winnow it, grind it into flour, and then mix it up, knead it, and bake it into delicious challah? The answer is no. The Rambam, Maimonides, and others explain that there are certain limits to the rule about food preparation. One of them is that you're only allowed to do something if there is a specific benefit to doing it on Yom Tov as opposed to before Yom Tov. Apparently, freshly harvested wheat is no better for baking than wheat harvested yesterday. So you're only allowed to start baking on Yom Tov with flour that is no longer attached to the ground. But everyone knows that fresh bread is so much better than yesterday's bread, so that is certainly allowed to be baked on Yom Tov. But why the distinction? If we're allowed to prepare food on Yom Tov, who cares if it's better than if I did it yesterday? Why can't I do it all on Yom Tov anyway? The Rambam explains that we're concerned that people might leave over all their food prep, which they would normally do before Yom Tov, and wait to do it on Yom Tov, turning a day which is supposed to be a holy one into a day which is full of work and not restful at all. For that reason, we're only allowed to do on Yom Tov things which are better done on the spot and not prepared in advance. This is just one example where the laws have a vested interest in making sure that we have plenty of Simchat Yom Tov, the special happiness associated with a festival, represented by fresh food, but they also protect against Zilzul Yom Tov, belittling the festival, by making sure we don't spend the whole day preparing the food instead of eating it and celebrating the holiness of the day. Now that we do have refrigerators and the ability to reheat our food easily, many people do most of their food preparation before Yom Tov. When I was growing up, my mother usually did most of the cooking before Yom Tov, but on Yom Tov afternoon, we would all get together in the kitchen and bake a batch of cookies so that we would remember that we are in fact allowed to bake on Yom Tov. And of course, there's absolutely no comparison between cookies made on Erev Yom Tov and cookies that are fresh out of the oven on Yom Tov afternoon. That's a lesson I'll certainly never forget. And of course, now I'm craving chocolate chip cookies. To return to our topic, there's one other important caveat with regards to what you can do on Yom Tov, and that has to do with hachana, or preparation. While you are allowed to slaughter an animal on Yom Tov, you are not allowed to wake up on Yom Tov morning and suddenly declare, I feel like having steak. On Erev Yom Tov, you need to already have decided that you wanted to slaughter a cow the next day, and even more so, you need to have already decided which cow it is going to be. If you don't do that, the cow is considered muktzah, something you are not allowed to use on Shabbat or Yom Tov. Again, this is to prevent zilzul Yom Tov, the idea that we might disrespect Yom Tov by suddenly deciding to do all sorts of activities that we hadn't been planning on. We need to make sure that everything we're using on Yom Tov has been separated out from the day before to be specifically used the next day. With all of that in mind, let's have a quick look at what's covered in Masechet Beitzah. 
The first chapter, or parak, begins with the famous Beitza Shenolda Biyomtov, an egg which is laid on Yomtov. There is a debate between Beit Shammai and Beit Hillel, the schools of Shammai and Hillel, over whether that egg can be eaten or not. Beit Shammai thinks yes, Beit Hillel thinks no. The parak continues to talk about certain actions that you might think are prohibited on Yom Tov, but are actually permitted, and some actions which are permitted, but only when done with a shinoi, in a noticeably different manner from how they would normally be done. For example, you can grind spices on Yom Tov, but not using your regular spice grinder. The second parak talks about the concept of Erev Tavshilin, which is still relevant and extremely significant today. As we already said, you're allowed to prepare food on Yom Tov, but only for Yom Tov. Therefore, you're not allowed to spend the holiday baking all your bread for the following week. That would be Zilzul Yom Tov. But what are you supposed to do when Yom Tov is on a Friday and the next day is Shabbat? How are you supposed to have food for Shabbat if you can't cook on Shabbat and you can't prepare food or even heat up food on Yom Tov if it's not for that day? Enter the Erev Tavshilin. Erev Tavshilin, which literally translates to something like the combining of foods, is a halachic workaround that allows us to prepare food on Yom Tov for Shabbat. It works like this. On Erev Yom Tov, we cook something that we will save to eat for Shabbat. In fact, we prepare two foods that we're going to save for Shabbat. People often use a hard-boiled egg and a matzah or a challah roll, but it can really be any two cooked foods that will be eaten on Shabbat. By beginning to cook for Shabbat before Yom Tov, we essentially say that we've already begun cooking for Shabbat, and so doing some cooking on Yom Tov is just a continuation of what we've already begun doing. Pages and pages and books and more books have been written on this topic, so I won't go into any more details about exactly how Erev Tavshilin works, although there's plenty more to say. In any event, the second chapter of Beitza deals with the rules surrounding the preparation of the Erev Tavshilin, the two foods we prepare for Shabbat so that we can continue to prepare on Yom Tov as necessary. The third parak describes how you need to pre-select animals before Yom Tov if you want to slaughter them on Yom Tov, and also explains that you're not allowed to do certain things that are related to food if they are too similar to activities normally done on regular days. For example, you can't weigh food on a commercial scale on Yom Tov because it's not appropriate for the special day, even though it's related to food preparation. The fourth parak continues on the theme of things you can't do on Yom Tov because they're weekday activities, things like carrying heavy loads and using different kinds of wagons. The fifth and final parak talks about more ways that Shabbat and Yom Tov are the same, and specifically goes into detail about the prohibition of Tchum, which is the limited area outside a city which you're allowed to travel on Shabbat or Yom Tov. Now that we've finished our overview of the Masechet, I'd like now to learn with you one Mishnah from the second parak, Mishnah 5, which carries very practical applications for the way we observe Yom Tov today. We've already established that actions which are forbidden on Shabbat but are necessary for food preparation, are permitted on Yom Tov. The question then arises, what if a particular action can be used to prepare food, but also could be used for something else? Can I do that action for a non-food-related purpose? For example, 
I would certainly be allowed to add wood to my bonfire if I wanted to roast marshmallows on Yom Tov. But what if I'm just cold? Can I add wood since it's an action that is permitted on Yom Tov for food purposes? Or is it prohibited because generally increasing a fire is prohibited on Shabbat? That example is actually at the end of our Mishnah. But the first example is even more relevant than the unlikely scenario in which you're roasting marshmallows on Yom Tov. The Mishnah begins, Beit Shammai Omrim lo yecham adam chamin l'raglav, ele imkein ru'uyin l'shtiyah, u'beit hillel matirin. Beit Shammai, the school of Shammai, say, one may not heat hot water for washing his feet unless they are waters fit for drinking. And Beit Hillel, the school of Hillel, permit, even if they are not fit for drinking. The Mishnah continues, One may make a fire and warm oneself before it. The Mishnah has two cases, one of heating water and one of building a fire. Beit Shammai says that you can wash your feet with hot water as long as the water was heated up for the purpose of drinking. Beit Hillel, however, say that you may heat up water for the express purpose of washing your feet. The commentators explain that this debate extends to the second case in the Mishnah, and that only Beit Hillel thinks you may make a fire to warm up, while Beit Shammai would think that you can warm yourself by a fire made for cooking, but one cannot be built for the purpose of warmth. Clearly, Beit Shammai thinks that the exemption which allows heating water and making fires on Yom Tov is only with regards to the specific purpose of food preparation, while Beit Hillel seems to think that since an action is permitted on Yom Tov for the purpose of food preparation, that action is permitted even for another purpose. This is a rule called mitoch, or since. Since you can heat up water for drinking, you can also heat up water for washing your feet. Now here comes the real question. Does that mean that you can heat up water for any purpose? Are there any limits? Tosvot, the medieval commentators on the Talmud, explain that even according to Beit Hillel, you may only use the rule of mitoch for something that is davar hashaveh lechol nefesh, something which most people enjoy. This is based on the pasuk we quoted earlier of asher yeachel lechol nefesh, what every person will eat. In our Mishnah, we see two examples of a davar hashaveh nefesh, washing your feet and warming up near a fire. We're coming towards the end of our time, so I just want to mention that davar hashaveh nefesh seems to be something that changes over time. Years ago, it was extremely common for people to smoke on Yom Tov, even though they never would on Shabbat, because burning a fire is something that's permitted for food purposes, and smoking was considered a davar hashaveh lechol nefesh. Everyone agreed that smoking was great. It felt good, and it was even healthy. Now that it's clear how unhealthy smoking is, and it has become less common over the years, many authorities have said that even those who continue to smoke should not be allowed to do so on Yom Tov because it is no longer a davar hashaveh lechol nefesh. On the flip side, Tosfut says explicitly that even though Beit Hillel said you may heat up water to wash your hands, face, and feet on Yom Tov, you may not wash your whole body in hot water, or what we call showering, because it is not a davar hashaveh nefesh. It's not universally agreed upon as enjoyable. 
As opposed to smoking, there are now many authorities who say it's very clear that showering is a davar shavel chol nefesh, and therefore are more willing to permit showering with hot water on Yom Tov, even though it had traditionally been prohibited. As with any area of halacha, you should consult someone you trust before making any decisions about changing how you practice. But I think this case is so interesting because it shows an area of halacha which really changes based on the practice of the people at that point in time. Learning Mishnah is fascinating because it often brings extremely specific cases that describe life as it was almost 2,000 years ago. But sometimes that can be frustrating when it doesn't feel like the Mishnah is talking about my life. That's what I think is so amazing here where Beit Hillel says you can heat water for washing your feet, and Hillel died in the year 10 CE. The Tosafists around the year 1150 say that you can't heat up water to shower because not everyone likes showering. And now we're here at the very end of 2017, or maybe 2018 by the time some of you listen to this, and we're asking ourselves whether this remains true. Because we like to shower, and because Torah is a living thing, And the cases in the Mishnah might sometimes feel far away, but really they're so relevant if only we know how to read them. It's been a pleasure studying Masechet Beitza with you, and I hope that on your next Yom Tov, you'll be inspired to think about ways in which we increase our Simchat Yom Tov through what's especially permitted on that day. This episode of Your Torah is brought to you by Jofa UK. In collaboration with women from around the world who all share a passion for Torah study. If you are enjoying your Torah, consider sponsoring an episode. Find out more by visiting ukjova.org. Join the conversation on social media using the hashtag YourTorah.